Good morning. It is great to be here. It is an absolutely beautiful day outside, and I'd have to say it's a beautiful day inside, too. This is a wonderful place to be, to share, and to fellowship and love, not only with fellow believers, but with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We continue today with our sermon series, Getting Into Church. We've talked about the different doors that we use to get into church. We talked several weeks ago about hospitality and how we indeed need to be a church that continues to care and shelter, not just for our own, but for others, for those that we don't know, that we don't recognize. And we talked about the door of prayer that we need to put an emphasis on, that we need to be consistently in prayer and to spend that time alone with God and not always talking, oftentimes listening as the psalmist would say, being still and knowing indeed that he is God. Last week we talked about the door of forgiveness. We just finished a prayer in which time and time again we asked, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Forgiving, one of the most difficult things to do, if not the most difficult things we do as a Christian, especially forgiving those people who have done us wrong. And yet that is exactly what we are asked to do. We certainly stand in need of forgiveness. And those around us who have done things wrong also stand in need of forgiveness. Today we go through the door of service. Service. And this is a door that some of you are very familiar with. Other of you have tried it once or twice. And some of you are not really sure whether you want to be a servant. Your plates are full. you got enough to do. Life is full and time is little. I'm not sure I have time to be a servant. Would you join me in the tax collector's gospel today, the gospel of Matthew? We're going to go to the 20th chapter, and we're going to go to the 20th verse. Matthew 20, 20, as Jesus teaches about serving others. Would you stand with me, please, as we read in this gospel? And this is what Matthew writes. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This blessing upon God's word, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
Any of you ever had an MG Midget? They're really small cars. Really small cars. I had a, what did I have? Did I have a Triumph? Is that what I had? What did I have? A Fiat Spider? Fiat Spider. That has nothing to do with the sermon, but we'll continue. MG Midget, the story is told of an MG Midget that pulled up next to a Rolls Royce at an intersection. And the driver rolled his window down, and the Rolls Royce driver rolled his window down. And the midget driver called out and said, you got a cell phone in that car? The Rolls Royce driver said, of course I have a cell phone in this car. You got a fax machine in that car? The Rolls Royce driver said, of course I have a fax machine in this car. The midget driver paused a moment and said, do you have a double bed in the back of the car? The Rolls Royce driver rolled up his window and sped away. Later that afternoon, the Rolls Royce driver had a double bed installed in the back of the Rolls Royce. And a couple of weeks later, he was driving around town when all of a sudden he spotted that MG midget on the side of the road. And the, the MG midget was parked, but there were water droplets on the rear and there was steam pouring out of the windows. And so he pulled that Rolls Royce in front of the MG midget and got out of the Rolls Royce and banged on the midget's door until the driver rolled it the window down. He said, what do you want? He said, I just wanted to tell you that I had a double bed installed in the back of my Rolls Royce. And the midget driver was rather indignant. And he said, you got me out of the shower to tell me that? (laughs) It's a rather ridiculous story that exposes a rather ridiculous human characteristic that we all have. In our heart, we want to be the biggest and the best. We want to be number one. We want to sit in a place of authority. We want to sit in a place of honor. We want to be the firstest with the mostest. My challenge to us today as a church is, are you willing to turn your back on the world's definition of greatness? Are you willing to try, stop trying to outrun the competitors to the top? Are you willing to stop trying to become the lead rat in the rat race? Are you willing to stop trying to accumulate stuff and in our vain attempts to outspend or be better than our next door neighbor, the Joneses? Are you willing to forsake the greatness of this world and claim Jesus' definition of greatness? Jesus said, the greatest among you must be your servant. And the greatest disciple is the one who serves the least, the lost, the lonely, and the hurting. Toward the end of his life, Albert Einstein removed two portraits of two famous scientists out of his study, Newton and Maxwell. And on his wall, he replaced those two portraits with portraits of Gandhi and Albert Schweitzer. And a good friend of his noticing that one day coming into the study is, why in the world did you do that? Why'd you do that, Albert? And Albert explained, the time has come to replace the image of success with the image of service. Replace the image of success with the image of service. And I hope that our church, that Centenary United Methodist Church, might have hearts and lives in which we are ready to replace the proverbial ladder of success with the door of service. 
In the scripture lesson that I read to you from Matthew today, we see Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to the cross with his disciples. And they stop for lunch, and they have a visitor, the mother of James and John. Matthew records it that way. Mark records it somewhat differently. But Matthew records that Mrs. Zebedee is present. And so she gets Jesus, pulls him aside for a confidential word, and she says, when you come into your kingdom, let my sons have the top two positions in your cabinet. Like any mother, she wants her sons to be successful. Like any mother, she wants them to have positions of honor and respect. So Mrs. Zebedee is not unlike the mothers that we have here, or for that matter, the fathers that we have here. But Jesus replies, you don't understand what you're asking. Those top positions in the kingdom carry very big price tags. Are you willing to drink from this cup of suffering? And they say, oh yes, we are. We're able. And Jesus, of course, able to see into the future by his heavenly Father, said, you will indeed drink from this cup. And as it turned out, James was certainly martyred for his faith. And John spent the last years of his life in exile on the island of Patmos. Jesus added, it is not my place to assign these top spots in the kingdom. That is my heavenly Father's business. And somehow the other disciples, as we're told here in Matthew, heard that and they became rather indignant that James and John or Mrs. Zebedee would even ask Jesus of that. They became indignant. Why? Because they wanted to ask the same exact question. It's just Mrs. Zebedee got to Jesus first. We all have a desire to be noticed. We all have something inside of us that craves distinction. We like to lead the parade. We like to see our name up in lights. We like to be named the most popular or the prettiest or the most handsome. We like that. I know most of us will say, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. We like that. We crave that distinction sometimes. If you went to Wall Street and said, what is the secret of greatness? Those stockbrokers on Wall Street would say money, lots and lots of money. If you went to Washington, D.C. and asked, what is the secret of greatness in the nation's capital? They would say power. If you went to Hollywood and said, where is there greatness in Hollywood? They most certainly would say either you really got to be beautiful or you really got to be famous. That's the secret of greatness in Hollywood. But that's not what Jesus tells us. That's not what Jesus gives as an answer. Whoever wants to become great must be a servant to others. Success, greatness in the kingdom of God is far different than it is in our society in this life. In the kingdom of God, there's no elevator to the top. There's no fast way to the top. The only way to get to the top is up to the stairwell of service, is to take it step by step by step by step step. And Jesus concludes this passage in Matthew by saying, for even I, the Son of Man, the Son of Man came here not to be served, but to serve others. The secret of the greatness in the kingdom of God is not how many servants you have, but what kind of servant you are. Jesus made one of the most incredible statements he's ever made in his message when he talked about serving others. Do you remember the passage out of Luke? when he takes off the top of his robe and ties the 
towel around him, goes around the room, and starts washing his disciples' feet. Most of us don't think an awful lot about that. But in the first century Judea, they didn't have paved roads. We didn't have a lot of carpet on the floors. You walked around with sandals. And all sorts of stuff got attached to your feet. And can you imagine what it was like to wash dirty feet? Like, I don't even like to wash my feet. I don't know what's down there. You like to wash your feet? Jesus knelt before each one of his disciples and in a servant's attitude washed their feet. He came as a servant. The one who ransomed his life for all of us came as a servant. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you more interested being served in the church or are you more interested in being a servant of the church? Are you more interested in being served or being a servant? First grade teacher asked her class, boys and girls, what do you do to help mommy? Suddenly all the little hands shot up. One little girl said, well, I I dry the dishes. And another little boy said, I feed the dog. Another child said, I sweep the floor. And a fourth one said, and I try to take out the trash. All of them did something to help mommy at home. Except one little boy in the back. And the teacher noticed this. And she looked back at him and said, Johnny, what do you do to help at home? Johnny said, I stay out of the way. There are far too many church members who just stay out of the way. In a recent Gallup poll, it was determined that about 15% of our church members are active in a personal type of ministry, in a personal type of teaching. And what's even more amazing than that is about 55% of the membership in our, in our churches either have no interest or determine they have absolutely no time to serve in any way, shape, form, or fashion. If you have no interest or no time to serve the kingdom of God, what in the world are you doing in church? Why are you even saying, I'm following Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? If you're not serving, what are you doing? Why aren't you serving? Because that's certainly the teaching and the example that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gives us. If you're here for purely selfish or self-centered reasons, how can you say you're following Jesus Christ? If you're unwilling to serve God and serve others, what are you doing? Do you realize that God has set your life up to serve? From the very beginning, he set your life up to serve. Any of you who are parents, the first night you bring that firstborn home and it cries at 2 a.m., Your life has turned into a life of service forever. I don't care how old they get. It's a life of service. And we go to college. We go to college to learn. We go to college and have advanced degrees. And I hope it's not just for us. I hope it's to go out and to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a pharmacist, somehow to serve others, to help others with our knowledge and our expertise. And then as we grow older and older, We find out those who served us first are the ones we need to serve in the end. When our mothers and our fathers, and the circle turns, the wheel turns, and we find we have to be servants for mom and for dad.
our lives are made for service. And not only service here, but service in all of eternity. If you go to the book of Revelation, it says his servants will serve him. That's what we're going to do. We're going to serve the Lord. Matter of fact, when we come here for worship, this worship is not for God. We give him praise and thanksgiving, but this worship is for us. It's our service to him. That's why when I say things in the offertory, when we, when we give of our time and our talents and our treasures, we're giving to him and we're showing how much he means to us, how much we love him. That's our service. I want to talk about three things just very quickly as we talk about this door of service. First of all, God wants you to serve him. He wants you to serve him. If you look at service and ministry in the Bible, those words are basically interchangeable. A servant in the Bible is a minister, and a minister in the Bible is a servant. And God created everything for a purpose, and he certainly created us for service. He designed us to make a difference. Every Christian has been called to service. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be a full-time pastor or you're going to be a full-time church staffer, or you're going to teach Sunday school, or you're going to be here in the church seven days out of the week. But at the same time, it means you are a Christian, and you are not a part-time Christian. You're a full-time Christian, and that means you need to serve. Paul writes in his letter to the church at Rome, now you belong to him in order that we might be useful to the service of God. You were born to serve. You weren't born to sit You weren't born to sponge things out. You weren't born to soak things up. You weren't born to sour. God wants you to do something with your life. He doesn't waste breath. He doesn't waste space. God expects you to serve. God wants you to serve others. That's my second point. We've all been given gifts. All of us, every last one of us has been given gifts. And he wants us to use those gifts in the body of Christ God gave us gifts to be used in his ministry to literally grow and nurture the kingdom of God of which we speak. And each of us has received that gift. First Peter, each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. Spiritual gifts are not for your enjoyment. They're for God's use. They're for God's use. And that's what he wants us to do. I want to tell you, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I become a kid at Christmas. I love the lights and the music, and I love all the presents. You know all those beautifully wrapped presents that sit under the tree? Pick it up, shake it, see if there's anything good. Waterford glass. I love that. But for as much as I like Christmas, I understand that unless you unwrap and use those gifts, they are worthless. They are totally worthless. Unless you unwrap and use the gift that God has given you, it is worthless. It just sits under the tree. It just looks pretty. And that's not what God is about, and that's not what we should be about as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, as a church, we should be helping you know what your gifts are. I hope you do know what your spiritual gift is, and if it's not, we will find a way so that everybody knows what their spiritual gifts are, and how you could use that gift to serve this church. We should be helping you discover your gifts and use your gifts. Sometimes we don't understand what our gifts are, and we become agitated, or we become irritated or complacent. Sometimes we just say, well, I don't know where to serve. Come on, folks, we're a big church. You know what you need to do? You just need to get out there and serve. You know, go work in the preschool. 
Come down here and teach the kids. Go fold bulletins. Go park cars. Go turn off lights. Go run the sound system. I don't know. But there are lots of places you can serve. If we're talking about growing the kingdom, if we're talking about building and growing this church, we've got to do a lot more than just simply sit in the pews and talk about it. We've got to get out of the pews and do something. We have to serve. We have to serve. That's the example that we have been given. We got to do something. You don't absorb Christianity by osmosis. You got to work at it. The last thing I want to tell you is that God does indeed equip you for service. He gives you everything you need for service. Some of you, I'm sure, thinking, oh, I don't have anything. I don't have any talents. I don't have anything I can use to serve the church. That's wrong. God has equipped each and every one of you to serve in some way, in some shape, in some form, in some fashion. But you've got to do it. Don't leave the gift wrapped underneath the tree. Unwrap it and use it. God has equipped you to do that. An immature Christian or someone who is seeking will often come to church and ask the question, how can this church meet my needs? How can this church meet my needs? Wrong question to ask, folks. What we should be asking is, how can I be used in this church to meet the needs of others? How can I be used in this church to meet the needs of others? An immature Christian or somebody who is simply seeking is going to say, who's going to meet my needs? And what we should be asking ourselves is, whose needs are we going to meet? It's simple. We know that. But we don't always act upon it. We don't always act upon it. You know, much of your life doesn't have any external or eternal perspective. A lot of things that we do simply last in this lifetime and don't really matter for all of eternity. When all is said and done in your life, how will people sum up your lives? Will they point to your marriage or your family or your children, or your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren? Will they point to your investments, or your nest egg? Will they look at your home, or all the possessions that you have? Or will they point to your work, or your career, or all the awards that you received? How will your life be summed up? All of those things are important, but from the standpoint of eternity, there are only two things of value, our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with each other. Our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with each other. The only way our life truly has an impact is when we make a difference, and the only way we can truly make a difference is to serve, to serve each other. Now, some of you in this room are faithfully serving right now. You do it. You're part of that 15 or 20 or 25%. I don't know what it is. You're serving. And I encourage you to continue to serve because you are leaders in this church, not only to continue to serve, but I'm going to encourage you to encourage others to serve, to get involved. Some of you have tried service once or twice. You've been through that door of service. You didn't like it. Something happened. Somebody said something. All right, that's fine. Get off the bench and get back into the game. Let's do it to it. 
Let's find what we're good at and do it to it. And if we're wrong the first time, we'll try a second. We'll try a third. We'll try a fourth. Let's do it. Some of you are sitting there going, I really don't know how to serve. I'm not really sure I want to serve. I'm not really sure I got time to serve. It's funny. We want to spend eternity with God. That's a long time. But we really don't want to serve his kingdom here. We just want to show up the day we die and say, here I am. I know all the courses of all the hymns, and I'm ready to serve. It doesn't work that way, folks. We don't serve to gain our salvation. We serve to be more Christ-like in who we are and what we're doing. That's why we have a door of service that leads into the church. That's the example that Christ has given us. Don't stay on the bench. Get back into the game. And don't give me excuses because they're no good ones, whether I'm talking about you or whether I'm talking about me. Serving others is the only way we really grow in Christ. And whoever wishes to become great among you must be a servant, Jesus said. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be a slave among you. That isn't what James and John had in mind. They wanted the quick route. They wanted the express elevator. But that's not how it works in the kingdom. True greatness is only found through the door of service. Let me leave you with a story. One story. Wonderful story. Young man sitting outside a hospital room. And inside was a very elderly man on the brink of death. And the nurse who was making her night rounds passed by several times and then finally took the young man by the hand and led him inside next to the bed. And she shook the patient and she said, Sir, your son is here. Your son is here. He wants to spend some time with you. And she got a chair, and the young man sat in the chair next to the the gentleman and reached out and held his hand. The man in the bed probably couldn't tell exactly who it was, but he reached out and grabbed the hand, and they held hands together as the nurse left. And throughout the night, the young man offered words of hope, words of prayer, and certainly words of love. Until near dawn, when the gentleman passed away, And the young man took the lifeless hand out of his and laid it back on the bed. He went out to tell the nurse that the man had passed away. And the nurse started to offer her condolences. And the young man said, who was that gentleman? And the horrified nurse, what? You don't know who he was? I thought you were his son. The young man said, no. I've never met that man in my life. She said, well, why didn't you tell me? said, when I went in there, it was obvious that he was looking for somebody. He needed somebody, perhaps his son. So I just reached out to hold his hand. And when I knew he couldn't tell that it was son or not, I, I knew I had to stay. So I stayed with him through the night till the very end. I don't know the man. But God placed it on my heart that I should be there. God led that young man into that hospital room because a heart of service, service to somebody that he didn't even know. And that's what God wants to do with all of us if we'll simply allow him, if we'll stop coming up with excuses and reasons and simply allow God to be God in our lives and follow the example that we have in Jesus Christ. God wants to use us in the same exact way. But my brothers and my sisters, there's only one caveat the whole thing, is you've got to stop looking 
for the positions of greatness because they're never at the front of the line. The prominent positions in the kingdom of God are all the way in the back, right next to the door of service. Would you bow your heads with me, please?